Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North, and this is episode 96. A little chat with my friend Christian from the Soccer Subs podcast. Now, I've been sitting on this episode for, well, about a week or a week and a half or so, and that's because I was just out of town. I went to Kansas City for the United Soccer Coaches Convention. So this episode, well, it translates well to all of that. We talk about learning, teaching, coaching, and what he does and what I do and the way we see all these different ways that coaches get things across to their players. We also talk a little bit about AFCON and a little bit about the World Cup. So just enjoy the next hour with Christian from the Soccer Subs Podcast. Christian, you, first of all, you are, I don't want to, I don't want to say this in a demeaning way to the other parts, but you're in a way the other half of the Soccer Subs Podcast, right? Because it was you and Ronnie that really started it. And it was your guys' initial idea. He told me a little bit about it in the episode we did where you guys just decided, okay, you know what? Let's let's just go ahead and do this and we'll reach out to everyone we want and everyone we can and just see where it goes. First of all, the inspiration on starting the podcast came from where? Yeah, that's a great question because Ronnie is the one that brought it up to me. And I remember sitting in his house and talking about it. And I'm like, great. I actually listened to podcasts before and I listened to Spanish soccer radio, um, mm. specifically back at home in Ecuador, and, but listening in Spanish. So I, I first didn't know what he wanted to do, whether he wanted to do it in English or Spanish. And then he said, well, you know what? I, I love the game podcast is kind of like a new thing for everybody now let's give him a try and i said you know what i love to talk about soccer and whether i'm right or wrong i think it'll be a great way to develop ideas let's do it and right there and then i asked them uh let's record for three minutes uh to see how we sound <laughs> and, and then we just let just I, I don't know what game had just happened but i told them okay i'm gonna press play on the phone and you do your thing and I'm jumping with ideas and whatever you say it's uh it's gonna go and then he presses the he presses play and he doesn't have a word to say (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't have but since I'm always like this crazy energetic person I went on and I was just rambling on words like being super hyper uh, excited about anything and and then I told them no it's normal it's okay I mean you know we find ways to develop and he decided that okay I feel more comfortable being a host and you start talking and then I jump in and and uh, and um, feed you ideas and then we just start the show so I'm like great and uh, and then he also had the idea of bringing more people in um Hugh I mean he's 16 years old but uh, it was funny because he didn't have any idea that we were doing this, but we had told him that, hey, Ronnie came up with this idea. We're going to interview people. And the second guest was Christian Vieri. And he was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? I'll help out with the podcast. Let me know what you need. I'll be your correspondent. And But before we recorded that episode with Christian Vieri, he was like, uh, you know, if you need me for anything, I'll be there. 
And on the first episode, we had invited another guy to come and join us, and he was drunk. He did show up to the recording. <laughs> I, I, I can't make this up. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Ronnie, Ronnie, talk to Hugh because uh, I think he's a great kid. He's pretty smart. He can jump in with ideas too. And obviously, I knew that he was in the debate team, 16, 16 years of age, and he's just so smart and he, he killed it. From then on, the show went on, and then we started adding more people. Now we have Vaz officially joining since since a few days ago. So it, it's cool. It's always good to have ideas from other people and then talking to the experts, which help us grow and develop. So it's it's pretty fun. Sorry, it took too long to explain that. No, that's that's actually excellent. That's a great way. To, it's a great little story, too. It's like you guys had this idea. And then, look, I don't know how many people who have listened to your guys' show or see you guys on Instagram know that Hugh is 16 years old. Um, I did. I will say right now, I did not know that. I think I, I've listened to a bunch of you guys' episodes. I haven't ever heard anyone say exactly how old he was. So you said you know him from the debate team. Is this, um, well, you know that, that he was on the debate team. Does mm -hmm. he go to a school that you work at? No, it's funny enough. Remember, I was uh, talking to you earlier before we recorded about uh, collecting autographs and stuff like that. And we kind of like go up to where the soccer teams go and stay. And, uh, and, and we met there because um, I think he was collecting autographs at the age of 15. And then I just <laughs> met the kid and he was just so jumpy and so excited. But, you know, he, he, he had this way of, of, of opening up to people who he believed he felt comfortable with. And then he wouldn't say a word to anybody else. So I just started talking to him, getting to know him, getting to know that he is Irish and he speaks uh, English and Spanish, Spanish very well um, because uh, of a nanny that he's had for over years. And <laughs> funny enough, it's, you know, he's a Real Madrid fan and we started kicking it from there. And, and, and yeah, he's a pretty smart kid. And I'm, I'm really happy that he even finds time to still be part of the podcast because he's into politics, he's into soccer, he's into projects. I mean, the kid has done more things uh, that age than, than I'm doing now. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's I, so I think it's kind of funny because I, I didn't plan. I never planned on I didn't write anything down that had to do with Hugh as a sort of segue but that's actually perfect because you know you right before we got started here you were saying that you were out coaching right and what you told me before is that you you work with the the little ones right mm -hmm. and that and you said uh they put me there because i have a ton of energy right so <laughs> i think that's great and then you're also a school counselor correct correct okay and these two things they, from my perspective, if you work around kids, you're way more likely to see potential in someone young and not feel like, well, they're young and I'm an adult. So no, like you clearly are like, no, I'm happy to mentor this guy. I'm happy to bring him in and, and have him be a part of whatever we're doing. And he can learn and take that and take it wherever he goes down the line. So it's cool. It's like, you, you know, just just Hugh alone is, is an example in a way of like just the kind of person you are as well, wanting to foster young people to go places and do stuff. I think that's that's cool. So what school are you at? Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I work in the Bronx. The school is called ABC Training Center. Now, this is more of a trade school. 
So I work mm. with mostly adults, uh, kind of like a vocational counseling. Gotcha. Um, okay. I, yeah, my but I did do the school counseling program, the master's program uh, at Hunter here in New York, and in my internship. I had to work in a school and it was a high school and I've always felt that I'll be comfortable working just with high school students because personally, perhaps I didn't think I, I can work with younger kids. I don't know. Maybe it was this, just this bloke. I'm like, how do I talk to a three-year-old? How do I talk to a four-year-old? And that was my perspective. And that's where I am now working with adults, but yeah, I'm pretty sure we're going to get a, to talk about it. But then I just found the opportunity to work with kids and it has been a lot of fun and such a huge learning experience for me. So, yeah. And, and, and it's all the way, when we say the little ones, we mean the three, four, five, six-year-olds? Absolutely. It goes from the very beginning. I know a lot of programs have the from two, three years old up to uh, 12. That's right now currently how I'm working with different groups. But, yeah, it goes – I'm not sure if you had experience with two, three-year-olds. I have, but yeah. If you're being thrown at the first coaching session or the first session at all, uh, yeah, it was uh, quite a learning experience. I will say this. I I did have – so I, I have coached and done, like, sessions and stuff with three- and four-year-olds. And I guess to me on a soccer field, everything – as a coach, I'm kind of, like, comfortable anywhere, really, with what any ever, ever age group. I have somewhere I'm just – better and, and just more comfortable but even with the three four-year-olds I knew how to just kind of just you know be a fun person that brought you know just made it good right my first experience with kids that age was I was 16 years old and I was a ski instructor up mm -hmm. uh up here at Copper Mountain in Colorado so ski instructor for three and four-year-old kids now that is a learning experience because you're dealing with a whole bunch of other stuff. And fortunately, even though we were teenagers, like we didn't have to deal with all the really nitty gritty stuff. Like if a kid like said, I have just filled my pants, we didn't actually have to deal with it. We just had to get them inside to where there were adults that could also help with the kids, the bathroom and all that. But still, you know, you're outside on a, you're, you're trying to get kids, motivate kids to go downhill on these little skis and they've never been on them before and they're all terrified they can't you know they they're just it was a that was a real learning experience of like man it can be really tough to work with these age groups because a lot of them are just scared they don't know it's the first time but then a soccer field it just always felt easier so yeah i i know what you mean the first time you get out there you're like oh god like what am i gonna say what am i gonna do so what did you uh, learn was like the thing that worked the best? What was your trait that you're like, you know, this is my, this is my winner card. Every time I do this, the kids just love it. What, what was, what'd you find in yourself there? I think about being enthusiastic. Naturally, I think uh, I am someone who is very energetic and enthusiastic about things. Um, but the idea is that I learned by mistakes so they, they're, um, I work with the New York City FC youth program, and they're kind of trying to build that in New York and in, in, in Long Island specifically. And they tell you to teach kids, three-year-olds, three-year-old kids to 
follow instructions, go to corners, do toe taps, and come back. And that doesn't work just by saying it, right? No. So it, it, you have to take things in consideration after you experience them. And I work with other clubs as well. And then I learned a different way of teaching, which is you know, taking like from the first, very first step, like just walking with the ball, um, turning, balancing, uh, doing a lot of um, running activities, which is in a fun way where you have to be creative with them. Mm. Um, they, they have these things where they call the bulldozers and literally just kids are just running and kicking at cones and seeing them excited about kicking a cone. Uh, it just made me realize, yeah, whatever you think, uh, if, if you're trying to think of soccer, soccer is an adult game. <laughs> and then when you're working with kids, it, 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 it's different. It's a whole new world. And you have to connect that in both ways. So it, it was pretty interesting to say. But yeah, I think energetic, excited, and, and just don't, don't, don't stress yourself out. Because if you do, uh, yeah, you'll probably want to run out of the session immediately. Well, and... I think what you say is so, so interesting there, right? The, they're like, here's what we want the kids to do. We want them to be able to dribble, dribble around some cones, keep the ball, dribble to the corners, do toe taps and come back. Okay. My opinion on that is yes. If, if a, if a deal, if the director of coaching or someone comes and they see a bunch of four-year-olds doing this as the coach, you looks like some kind of genius. Like, how did you make this happen? The reality is it, it, it almost never actually happens, especially with the kids that age. Um, so the fact that you realize that's not going to work, what is the thing I can do that's going to have an impact? What, 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 what can I do with these kids? Right. And so, like you said, running bulldozers, one thing I like having them do is do like rolls and fall on the floor because they need to learn to fall as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, and how you fall so that you don't get hurt and, and, all that stuff is easier when they're three and four and five because they're more willing to just be all over the place. So I, I think it's great that you notice that because a lot of a lot of academies and stuff, they want to see the game model from like age five. And that, I mean, I personally think that makes no sense. But I agree. when you work with the kids, you realize I can't I can't take them here. I have to meet them halfway or even further. I, you know, I've got to go 90 percent of the way to get them to see it want it and enjoy it right yeah well that's the thing and this goes back because i was just listening well i actually was just reading um uh, you know they're learning their development stages i didn't know this but obviously children learn first how to how to walk then how to well for first of all how to crawl then how to walk and then how to run and then you're asking them to do toe taps and come back to you with the ball it's ridiculous they're learning to balance themselves so it's it it takes uh, a lot of self um i guess research to know that you got to put yourself there and then you also got to read i always say this like if you wanted to be a soccer coach um it's very important it you know, you don't have to be an expert, but first be a, a teacher. Or if you're a parent, that's great because they'll teach you a lot. Then learn how to deal with people, how to work with people. And then you can coach soccer because it's it's essentially that knowing these stages, you know, it's it's going to make it, it's going to frustrate you. It's going to frustrate the parents, going to frustrate the kid if you don't know this. Right. You, you said you got a master's from Hunter. Yeah. Hunter College in New York City. So what, what was the master's in? 
a school counseling, education, school counseling from K to 12. Right. Okay. So this is, so, and I, I got my master's uh, last year in uh, sports pedagogy, sports science, basically soccer coaching. So Congrats. What, the funny thing is by doing these two types of masters, what you learn, which you can't get in your licensing courses <laughs> with USSF is literally how the human mind works and how player and how people, not just players, but people learn at different stages of their lives. I've found that that information and the stuff I learned there, it has made me such a better coach because it's made me less worried, less putting less pressure on the like tactics and like high technical stuff and focusing more on like opening the mind. So when, is this something that you feel that you encounter with other people are like, man, people need to understand the way we learn and not just think they know how to coach a sport. Yes, of course. I think that's initially that was my struggle because I, I was always interested in coaching, but I'm like, where where do I even start? And this was back probably like eight, 10 years ago. I was always had this 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 idea. You watch them on TV and I'm like, yeah, I want to be like this guy. I want to be Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, but you have to learn how yeah you have to learn how kids develop how people develop what's the best way to connect with uh kids and adults and teenagers um and and most importantly i think you have to be very very open-minded because it, it, we we have this tendency to panic when things go wrong so it, we have to take a look back when things are um are happening and say okay this happened but what can I change? What can I modify? And believe it or not, like at the age from, from three to, to, to 12, I mean, through to eight, you got to talk less. You got to just play because that's the best way to learn. Kids don't learn. When you go, when you learn swimming, I remember they don't give you a book for learning how to swim. <laughs> no, they chuck you in the pool. <laughs> you know, obviously you go and have somebody's holding you and then you learn how to uh, use your feet and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's simply as you learn my experience, but you also have to be encouraging. And I think that's important when you coach. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no doubt about that. I think, I think what's interesting too, is that there's such a high level of education in a lot of ways in New York, um, just in terms of how many people have gone into education, how, how many institutions there are in New York that are, you know, well-regarded, high, highly thought of places for learning. And, and so then, I don't know, the, the culture of New York's an interesting thing. You guys, you're in Queens, right? Correct. I, so I, I guess where I'm going to, I don't know if I've heard of a lot of players come from the five boroughs and make it at the top level. Um, with the amount of kids that is, that, it, that seems a little bit shocking. Do you think that there's there's just needs to be a slight difference in the way players are coached and taught from a young age, or does it have to do with the New York culture? What, what do you think? I think a little bit of everything. I think players need to be given a clear path, a pathway to make it to the next level. And I think New York city FC it's kind of working with that Queensboro, the new club from David Villa is actually oh, right, working yeah. from that. Okay. And, and, and I see that now more often I see clinics, tryout clinics, uh, ID, uh, 
um, events where they can actually have a chance to see these players. Um, so a clear pathway is very important. Uh, I mean, if I'm thinking back with the New York Rebels or the Metro Stars, I'm pretty sure they held their events mostly in New Jersey because that's where they're located. Um, so you do have certain players that go through the academy in New Jersey and um, and make it to USL and, and perhaps they go and get a scholarship and then they make the decision where they want to play or not. So I think it's just giving a clear structure. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that now New York City FC, what they do is they're affiliated with these clubs, elite development clubs. And then, you know, by word of mouth of the coach, hey, look, we have this player take them to this talent center and see how he does. And then there's kind of a way. So if there's one recommendation for, um, that I would share with uh, people now is to just do the research of where these clubs are, what's the most convenient for them and, and try out and develop. I think that's the best approach to, to make it, uh, make it professionally. You know, it's interesting because when I was talking to Ronnie about NYCFC, him being a big NYCFC fan, one of the things he said is that the club has done a lot to try and get things started in the five boroughs, right? Get mm -hmm. uh, more mini pitches, just more of an opportunity for the mm -hmm. game to develop in the five boroughs. Because as you said, Red Bull, they're actually based in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. So, and it sounds like them and also Davidia, right? Because Davidia played for NYCFC. And so now the fact that he is in New York deciding I'm going to make my own club, mm -hmm. all of, none of that existed 10 years ago. So that means that right now there is finally sort of a real ecosystem for New York City kids to play in their own city, not have to leave, not have to go to Connecticut, not have to go outside, you know, just north of New York City, which I guess is upstate, you know, for everybody. Um, that's a joke, of course. Yeah, because I got a friend <laughs> from Poughkeepsie who says he's from upstate New York. I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Not Buffalo. <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, New Jersey actually has a really good talent pool. There's a lot of players that come out of New Jersey and make it to the MLS and the U.S. national team, but we just haven't heard of as many from the city. And sounds like NYCFC via all this that there is a groundswell happening do you really feel that i, I definitely do see that now um apart obviously from a business perspective um i think that it, it's i mean david via's uh, uh academies like 15 minutes away from me walking right now mm. that didn't exist that didn't exist and obviously the name and the prestige and then knowing that there's also another usl club that is going to be working hopefully pushing these kids up the the age levels it, it, it's just fantastic i think it encourages the parents to be more attentive uh encourage players young players to know like hey we're here like you said there's we don't have to travel this much there's no reason why we're not going to work hard to 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 reach that goal so it, i think it's fantastic and um obviously but before that you also had a uh, gachi gachi is one of the most popular ones in in new york and um they they have done they have actually developed a lot in the last couple of years 
But I remember like when they talk about ODP or they talk about elite clubs, Gotcha would be one of them. If I'm not mistaken, I think uh, Timothy Ware came out from there. Mm. And uh, and I think Kyle Duncan as well. I'm not sure, but don't quote me on that. But Timothy Ware for sure. So, uh, yeah, it's it, it, it wasn't as much as they are now. So now I think the like, New York City FC noticed that there is uh, uh, a need and they have worked around it. And also David Villa, who was part of New York City FC, so maybe he stole that idea from them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it definitely sounds like it's it's just walking in the right direction because I just remember thinking, you know, I've never heard of New York City as being a hub for high-level soccer players. It, it, growing up, you know, hearing about, you know, what colleges were good and what guys were people were coming from here or there. It was always, you know, you got a clear dose that Portland produces a lot of good players. Southern California, it's out of control. Texas, Florida, Maryland, Virginia. But I was always shocked that New York City was not part of that list. So I think it's great that things are starting to go in that direction because you guys have so many people. And if you can just, if there's that vibe, which hopefully NYCFC winning you know, MLS Cup helps, you know, just motivate, just inspire just that little bit more. But okay. I, I think it's great. I, so the future of New York City soccer does look bright, you feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I almost forgot also Metropolitan Oval is one of the ODP programs as well. And they are actually great at developing players as well. But now that they, they're kind of put in this position where like, OK, now we have to up the level as well to compete with the David B is to compete with the New York City FC affiliated clubs. And that's great because I'm seeing that more often. So it's, it, it's definitely, I think I do see a bright future for New York City, uh, New York City players. Well, I think, I think that's great. Cause it, it just the, the talent pool that has to exist in that city, I can only imagine, right? I can only imagine it's really high. And one of the reasons why New York's so good at basketball has so many good basketball players is because there's courts everywhere. So uh, I've been told there's a lot more, you know, mini pitches that are being built all over the city. Is that, is that something that you're just seeing pop up all over the place? More infrastructure for soccer? Not as often as I would see. I do know that there is one field uh, not too far from where I live that is New York City FC sponsored. And, but I guess um, I still need to see more if there is a way. The thing is that the space is very limited here. And what I since I work in the Bronx, what I've noticed is uh, kids and adults play in handball parks, uh, you know, where they yeah, where they just play Hamilton, you just put two book bags on the side and, and, and they're playing soccer, which is great because you want to see that. Yeah. Um, and and but I, I also think that there's still they can still be improved where we can still find kids playing soccer everywhere, you know, basketball courts outside, um, you know, in, in Ecuador, we used to play in the streets, like, you know, literally streets. So we just put two, two stones on one side and we're like 10, 11 years old and playing. And whenever a car passes by, he's low down and we have to wait till he goes. <laughs> and that's what it was. I don't recommend it here because I learned more about safety here in New York, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but, but we definitely, I would definitely love to see more kids just playing, you know, anywhere you can make a pitch out of. Well, and that's one thing I've talked to friends of mine, you know, who are like, oh, you know, 
it's just really tough, uh, you know, to, to really motivate a lot of these kids. You know, they've got other things that they want to do. They've got their video games, whatever. And I always have to remind, especially people who are not like we're not from this country. They, they came from somewhere else. I always have to explain to them. It's like we're so much further ahead from where we used to be. But to hope that kids in the United States uh, sort of on a mass scale are going to play wherever they can. It's still not really. I think everyone we're, we're in America. People like to go to the official spot to do something. You know, that's that's <laughs> that's, that's kind of the way we do things here, you know, and that's why I think a lot of kids, especially kids I coach, like, well, I don't know if there's a field, you know, or there's no goals at that field. It's like, okay, now you got to start to think a little more creatively. Like, how much do you want to just play with the ball? And how much do you want to play the organized, structured game? I, I Yeah, I can just imagine, you know, you as an 11-year-old just playing in the streets in Ecuador. When I was in Ecuador, I, was, I, I had a couple times where a ball just came right in front of me. I'm like, oh, hey. You know, those kids run around, <laughs> kick it, like, hey, give it back to us. <laughs> they didn't offer me to play. They just said, give it back to us. I thought that was unfair. <laughs> yeah, we don't take any subs either. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no one, no one wants to sit. Everyone wants to play the whole time. And if there's only so Everyone? much space in the alley or in the small street, then that's it. You can't, you can't involve anyone else. But <laughs> I, I, I think, if for, you know, for you, you're an Ecuadorian guy. Do you, you know, you see the way the culture of the game is here do you kind of feel like well we're still going in the right direction there's still plenty of good players coming but yeah there is something missing right from what you grew up with and what you saw around you uh meaning like from uh like in the u.s yeah in the u.s right yeah absolutely i think uh like you said i think it's cultural so that's why they the the U.S. Soccer Federation put such a big emphasis on not overcoaching, on just look set up the field and let them play. Uh, don't don't interrupt the, the the flow of the game. So that's that's why they make this important. Um, but I do think, like you, you touch on a lot of things. One of them was the the, the sports, the different sports: is basketball, baseball, football. But what they have found from from hearing to professionals is that that's actually really good until a certain age. I think I believe 12 or 13, because you learn so many things, even in lacrosse, you learn so many different movements, how to turn and how to express yourself, how to be free on a space. Um, it, it, it's huge. I, I remember listening to this person who was a, a, a coach in the Everton Academy. And when he came to the States, he was talking about, how the American players perhaps don't have enough of that foundation, not in strong foundation, but after two, three years of working with them, the potential to grow is much higher than the English kids. And I was astonished by that. That, that, that to me, it's, it, it says something like, it's good. Like you said, we see people playing basketball in the streets. We can see, we, I actually have started to see kids playing in the streets on those same basketball courts. Um, but maybe perhaps we can teach that. We can show that as parents, as, as, as a community holds events where we can have events on the street or just, you know, in regular parks where they can play. That's a, that's a really good point. And actually the multi-sport thing that, that is, I think you're very right. That is a, it's an asset for 
uh, a lot of a lot of kids in America because yeah getting all the physical fundamentals that you get from other sports like for instance here in Colorado those of us who grow up skiing and snowboarding like we got strong knees like that <laughs> you know what I mean like that that's a you know we hike a lot you know there's a lot of knee building that happens here in this state right probably the same for kids who go and surf you know and do things like that mm -hmm. right whereas if the only sport you you only do one sport from the beginning there's just you haven't quite covered all your bases physically and then also mentally right i encourage all my players like to play other sports i love when they tell me basketball because i'm like look this is futsal in your hands basically like the <laughs> movements think about the movements that we do and think about what you can do out on a basketball court like it's very similar and i i actually would say it's even later i think you could you probably want them to stop multi-sport and start to specialize more around 15 16 because mm -hmm. that's when they've actually gotten they're actually going sort of through they're probably halfway through their growth phase at least the boys are a lot of the girls at that point have really already gotten their height so yeah i mean i i've always found that that's if you can keep them going in multiple sports keeps their options open but it definitely makes them physically mm -hmm. stronger and that's interesting what you said about the potential that they see in the American and English kids, because I wonder how many English kids play a lot of different sports. Um, I know my dad, when he, cause my dad's English, he grew up uh, going to boarding school in England and stuff. And he's like, Oh, we played cricket. We played, uh, you know, rugby, we played golf, we played this and that. Um, I'm not sure if, uh, if they've started to specialize a lot more and have kids play one. I mean, you know, having them do crew is good. Crew is very English. You get those kids in rowboats, they're going to be real strong, you know? <laughs> they they definitely should. But I think, yeah, it's, it's because of the culture. For for me, in, in Ecuador, I didn't know about basketball until I came here in the United States when I was 12. Mm. That's That's how massive a difference it can make. You know, like all we think about is just, you know, I'm done with school. Uh, finish homework as fast as possible and then see if they, your parents let you go outside of play, um, which is most often just maybe just Fridays and Saturdays. But yeah, you try to sneak out every now well, and then. Gotta imagine that as a life, right? So right now, that's probably the most difficult thing for kids to do is to be able to just go and do things on their own. From what you've seen, you know, because you're, you're working with young people, I am too. What do you think we need to do as adults to make sure we give these kids richer lives when they, when hopefully all this starts to blow over? Like, what do you think they need from us the most? Yeah, it's that's why I mentioned that you, if you want to be a coach, I think you have to reflect yourself and see who you are as a person because what they see, um, what they see from you is what they're going to probably imitate. So it's very important mm -hmm. that you know what you why you're doing this. If you're coaching soccer and you know you're just passionate about a soccer, that's that's a great start. But also you have to be interested in care for 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 kids because you're not only teaching them soccer skills, you're teaching them values, principles, developing character. You, it, it's pretty much an, an an art and a science with soccer, and, and you have to keep that in mind when you're working with kids, especially with the younger kids, because if you have a bad situation with a kid or you feel frustrated, and God forbid, but you scream or you yell at them, they're never going to play this sport ever in their life, 
and the value that they, the kids learn from sports in general is so massive for the development as a person and, and as a player, of course. Well, yeah, keeping them in the game, that's 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 one of my number one priorities. That's Yeah, my number one priority really is to make sure that kids don't quit because of me. Like that cannot happen. If that happens, I have failed, like straight up failed at my job. And I mean, and what you said, they, the kids imitate what they see. One of the things I told um, one of my girls teams was, look, right now you are witnessing adults go a little crazy. So <laughs> it's up to you to recognize this and also, you know, learn from what you're seeing. Because adults are not acting totally rational right now. And I told that to my, te- you know, the 14-year-old girls I coach. And, um, you know, I, I have no idea where exactly that message got to in their minds. But I think you're totally right. It's uh, There is a responsibility for us to act act well here, especially in the next couple of years. Because there's a whole generation of kids that are suffering, like unlike ever really before. Um, have you noticed anything that you're like, we need to make we need to really make some efforts here for for this for this group for this generation that that maybe you hadn't thought of before i i mostly think about it it's just that know that there are problems at home problems that the kids might be facing and you just don't know anything about if you are not sensitive to these things i remember that i was having a coaching session with uh, the the U7 group here in Queens. And at the end of the practice, the mom, um, who is a, a teacher actually, came came to me and said, says, thank you, thank you, because you don't know how much this time means for my child. He had a rough day of school. Uh, things weren't working out with his dad. And I actually didn't know how he was going to react here in the practice and just seeing him forget about it and, and, and enjoying the, the games. Uh, I, that to me was meaningful. And I was like, thank you. But in my back of my head, I'm like, you know, I want to, I don't want to be, um, what's the word? I, I don't want to intervene on what's going on with their life, but I was worried. It's like, you know, it's, it's, is he okay? And she just let me know. I was like, yeah, he's fine. And it's just, you know, things that happen. And, 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 but this made it much better. So that's how important things could be. Sometimes we just think it's just soccer, but in general, things happening around us, we have to keep that in mind. Yeah. And I love that. It just, it's totally true. The, the, the field can be these kids' happy place for like an hour of the day. So it's kind of important you don't ruin that, right? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I don't know. I, I, I told uh, one of my directors this season, he was like, you know, I've noticed with your uh, U15 girls, you know, you're not, your sessions aren't really all that structured. I'm like, no, because they, they're, they're so finished with their day by the time they see me. It's 7.30. Do you think I'm really going to run them through like a really like intense, like heavy information session? They're all going to be sick and tired of it. It's the end of their day. They need to just play and run around and get the energy out, go home, shower, go to sleep. Like that's, that's what ideally you want for this group. You don't want them to be like, Oh my God, I have to come to practice now because what we're going to do is so difficult. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great point. Like how do you make it their happy place? Is there anything that you do that, that you feel is very much your, 
your style to make that part of the environment? If I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm pretty sure there are great people around. Um, I just make it fun for them. Um, and then I ask them because I'm like, okay, we can do this and we can do that. And when, for some reason, kids love to play this Ghostbuster game where somebody starts as a Ghostbusters and then they're running around and then uh, the player is supposed to tag uh, with the ball, kick him with the ball, and then you know they become a Ghostbuster. And they love that. And I'm like, can we play that? Uh, and then I give them options. And when they have the option and they decide and everybody's screaming, I think you give them ownership at an early age and they, they, they have fun. And then you have to listen to, to, to kids. You know, like you said, it's not like, okay, right now we're just going to go back and forth with the left foot and inside and outside touches. It's not that. Soccer is not about that. It's if you want to teach children how to play the game, they have to have fun while they're doing it. And they just point out the great things when you see them. I think that's, it's, 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 it's just as simple as that. So listen to the kids. I think it's, it's probably the most important thing. Well, and the, not only listen, but what you said is key. Give them some ownership. Give them a decision. I mean, I, I, I doubt very many coaches would say, what, you want to give four-year-olds the choice? But <laughs> uh, clearly th there is value in it. What, what have you seen as like one of the major bonuses? You're like, wow, by giving them the choice worked out better than I thought. What is there anything you can think of that was – sort of really striking to you um i i mean just seeing them actually you know using using just running around ha being happy with the ball i think is what makes me happy because you can have sessions where two kids might just sit down and lay down on the grass and not play at all <laughs> and like i'm bored what am i doing here you have that so but when you see that uh that you're, you know, you're being involved in the session. You are actually encouraging each player. You're not forgetting about everyone. Um, it's, it's pretty key. I think that's my, my perspective. Um, yeah. Other than that, I think it's mostly just, you know, don't, don't, don't worry too much about how organized it is because I, I get, I get what you're saying. Sometimes parents, you know, want to know if they're playing like Barca Academy kids <laughs> and they want them to do tiki taka when when you know when in this age group at least you know from 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 three to ten or three to eleven it, it, it's just having fun with the ball and then you gradually progress into developing other skills um but yeah that, that, that's that you joining if you have fun in the session it, it will more likely the kids have fun if you're not enjoying the session what makes you think that three, four-year-old, five-year-old will have fun. Well, I mean, that's one of my gauges. I'm like, would I like doing this? <laughs> like if I'm, if I'm building a practice, I always ask myself, would I enjoy this? If not, I don't do it. And some coaches may say, well, you've got to teach them the, the hard lessons as well. Uh, I don't know. I'm not their mom, not their dad. I think that, that uh -huh. that's something that those people can do. Uh, <clears throat> and yeah, I think the most important thing is that they enjoy it. And you're totally right. You as the coach, you have to show you have to show that energy. You have to show that desire and passion because or else, I mean, I remember having some coaches where I was like, I'm not sure if you want to be here today. That's not good either. <laughs> and you, and yeah, you have that you have. And, and that's where the line is. It's like, you have to kind of 
assess it yourself. And, you know, you don't want them to have to stand around and just, you know, looking at the grass or looking at anything because kids can, can, they have a short attention span. So you have to uh, find ways to engage. And I, I love when um, I'm, I'm, I'm setting up the field and there's some younger kids and it, I, I, there was this, uh, I, I know it might make sense or not, but there was this three-year-old girl and the parents came in and, and as they were walking, she was running. And then she, and then the mom tells me, you know, she was looking for you specifically because she knows she's going to play a tag game with you. And I'm like, that's great. That's fun. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the key. That's the key. You got to have a fun with them. And, and yeah, then, the, then, the the most rewarding part it comes after you know when you see them happy when you see them going to another level when you're not coaching them anymore but they're still involved in the game so like you said it's it's that's the most important thing well and it's quite touching to have parents come up to you and tell you that they're like young children like are excited to see you and that they've been talking about you you're like wow um i i witnessed this a few a few weeks ago um this guy that i coach was named juan martin he's from colombia and he was working with these, like this group of like six to eight, like eight-year-old girls. And it was the second session of the camp that we were doing. So the second week and I'm out there helping him out. And this woman just comes in, which parents currently aren't allowed to just walk into our inner facility. It's like players only. And then, and she just walks straight in, walks right up to him. And I was like, oh, I hope this is going okay, right? <laughs> because I didn't know. <laughs> so while he's talking to her, I take over the session and and then she leaves and he goes, man, that lady, she just came up to me and said that she was, a, like last week, after last week, she was going to take all the girls out of the camp because they didn't really have fun. And, you know, they didn't, they, they didn't have fun for most of the session, but they liked this one guy. So they liked Martin. And so she, Martin, right? His name's Juan Martin, but they were like, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> so she emails the camp director to let him all know all this. And he was like, well, from now on, we'll just have the girls with him. And it was a hit. I mean, I think our, our final session with them is Thursday. He's actually in Colombia, so I, I'm going to run it on Thursday. But I mean, what he did just by being a positive, fun energy source around them i mean it, it was the difference between those girls deciding not to come back or coming back every week and like being really excited and running up to us and wanting to give us fist pumps and stuff it was just he had 20 minutes to work with them and that's the impact he made i think that people need to think about that because it, it like you said this girl's running up to you looking for you because she just wants to play tag and she's free yeah. <laughs> i mean that's awesome so you had an impact that even little, it goes, it seems to go just a really long way. Yeah, that's how, and actually when you, when you talk about uh, professional coaches, what they say is that you, you have to show, uh, you have to give them something. You have to give them something to look forward to in order to engage them because mm -hmm. persuading them from the get-go, you're not going to have a good sales pitch to a five-year-old <laughs> to come and join to play soccer. No, you have to show them that they're going to have fun. And then, uh, then they'll, they'll probably be more looking forward to listening to you. For sure. So wait, you're, you're from Ecuador, right? Mm-hmm. Where in Ecuador? Correct. Guayaquil. Did you go okay. to Guayaquil? Yeah, Guayaquil. Uh, well, that's 
yeah, out on the coast, it's it's, it's amazing because the difference between Quito and Guayaquil is, um, oh my, it's in the air. Like you can just smell it because, yeah, I know Guayaquil is by the ocean. But one thing I loved about Guayaquil for anyone who hasn't been there, um, the amount of like crabs and stuff to eat and like just amazing <laughs> seafood stuff that's just in front of you all around. Really, really cool. I I, I thought it was great. Of course, it, it it rained the entire three days I was there. So I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. <laughs> well, so I remember during the Copa America this summer, uh, you were talking a lot about Ecuador. And yeah, do you are are you how how much do you how excited are you for qualification for the World Cup to to finally wrap up? Because you guys look in a good position. Um, I know it's tough, but do you feel that Ecuador are going to the World Cup? Do you can you really can you see it happening? Uh, I hope so. I can't wait to go to Qatar. I know people say uh, it's Qatar. It, it's the World Cup. You oh, have Cup. to try to. Yeah. Yeah. You can't you, you can think about it twice when it's a World Cup. And especially, you know, Ecuador has made it only three times. And hopefully this one could be the fourth one. Um, and I mean, I think what if you take if you look back at Ecuador, they were in a position where like we were not expecting anything from them. This is this is a part of where you know try to see which players can we build into for the next World Cup, mm-hmm. uh, but not necessarily qualify. And I think it, you know a little bit of luck, perhaps a lot of uh, a lot has to do with Jorge Celico, who was the U twenty coach for Ecuador. And he has been involved with these young players that are, are are actually in the lineup now, and and he has received a lot of help. Uh, the, the the coach Gustavo Alfaro from Ecuador is is someone who is very open minded. So he has been able to receive information, and he has made analysis of it, uh, for himself of which players to bring and how to connect and build a team that's competitive and has high quality. And, and, and it's just amazing. Um, he's responsible for bringing uh, Piero Incapié, who mm-hmm. was player, who played, who first mm-hmm. played in Independiente del Valle, which is one of the most successful clubs in developing soccer players, not only in Ecuador, but now they're getting the recognition in South America. So awesome. he played there and then he, he went to Talleres and now he's playing in Bayer Leverkusen. You know, he's only 19. This, which is which is amazing. Jeez, I didn't it's know he was that young. Actually, it, it was unheard of to. Yeah, it was unheard of to see, but I, he just turned twenty yesterday, I think. Okay. <laughs> um, and it was unheard of to 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 see center backs go play abroad just like that. So he he's definitely done a lot of things of, of working with youth, and I do think that there still needs some experience where in, in how to control games. But they're looking really good. Hopefully that doesn't bite me in the butt when we play Brazil in a few weeks. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Brazil is just too good, man. Well, you know, are, well, where's that? Where is that game? That is going to be in Quito in Ecuador. Okay. So well, there's there's maybe your, there's a little, there's your home field should advantage. Be an advantage. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love that. I love, I mean, the, the elevation thing, I'm all about it. I have, I, I think it's, um, uh, having used it sort of here, having as, as a, as sort of a leg up, I'm always happy when, you know, Bolivia and, and Ecuador decide to, 
to host games at high altitude and be like, well, deal with it. So wait, you, you just mentioned the World Cup. You're like, if Ecuador qualifies, have to go. I, this is actually a great topic because the World Cup sounds like it's going to be the most unique of all the World Cups we've ever seen because all of the matches are going to be played within about an hour and a half of each other, all connected by train. For the first time ever, you will be able to go to two matches in one day at the World Cup. So this does sound like a pretty rad opportunity, doesn't it? I actually didn't know how geographically close we're going to be. But that is even more incentive for anyone listening to go to the World Cup because like think about it it's not just people from qatar you have people from all over the world people who don't even their countries don't make it and go just because they know how fun it is um so that is quite amazing and yeah it might be the last world cup that's you know i guess four years apart and also the first world cup held in what november i don't i'm not sure if any other world cup held in this month no this has never happened before (laughs) <laughs> so hey you're gonna be part of history don't don't miss out so ecuador win. <laughs> you know I, it, it's interesting games. this this world cup in qatar has been a real i've been back and forth on like you know motivation to go on this i remember when they first announced the qatar world cup uh this might have been 2010 uh late 2010 early 2011 something like that and i was like I will be shocked if it actually happens because we all knew from the beginning that there were tons of bribes involved. And so Mm -hmm. I figured once the names of the bribes and all that stuff came out, they'd be like, okay, we can't do it there because there's no infrastructure. It all has to be built. There's too many questions. Qatar's never even qualified for a world cup before. Why should they host one? Right. I kept thinking all these things are probably going to mean that it doesn't happen. But as we've gone through the years, it's clearly happening. And now (laughs) We're at that point where I even think it's kind of stupid for people to say, well, we want to boycott Qatar because of human rights issues. I'm like, well, Russia hosted the last World Cup um, and the U.S. is going to host in 2026. So if you got issues with human rights, there's you can just boycott everything. But <laughs> no, what, what I was saying about Qatar that's really interesting is they have stadiums that are literally a 30, 40 minute like tram, like subway ride away uh-huh. just on the train. And so if you see a game, the, the say the, the 2 p.m. game and ends at 4 and the next game starts at 5 just across Doha, you can go to both games in the same day. That's never been possible uh, at the World Cup. So like you said, another incentive to go. Uh, the only one that I would say is the tough thing is I th- it sounds like it's going to be really expensive to, I mean, I guess breathe even in Qatar. <laughs> uh, but like you said, maybe worth it, right? Is there is there anything that you're like, you're dying to go? Is it Ecuador has to qualify or do you really want to go regardless? Uh, you know what? I think Ecuador has to qualify just because of, I had that experience in, in 2014. I know you went to the one in 2018, mm-hmm. um, which is great. I thought you brought uh, France some luck there. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I got to say, there is nothing like, like contrasting seeing the World Cup um, 
in 2018 and not seeing Ecuador in it, it was it was quite disappointing. Not only because they were close, uh, but there's just that connection that you know that's that's a dream. And um, and uh, I know people who who went and were Ecuadorians, and I asked them, was it you know did you have fun? It was fun, but definitely not the same because there's nothing like you're representing your country out there and and in a match, and it, it's 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 just a, a unique experience that you have to experience. Um, um, yeah, that that that's you that's know, the most important thing. What you mentioned reminds me of the Peruvians that I met because their first match of the tournament. They played way out in Yekaterinburg. So if anyone doesn't know, that is the city that's way out in Asia. It's the Russia. It was the most Eastern city for uh, games. Now, I don't think anyone recognized how many Peruvians were actually going to roll up. <laughs> and they came in mass. There were so many. And there were so many that the city of Yekaterinburg did not have enough hotel of anything accommodations. So some of the Peruvians that I talked to said that they went there and had nowhere to stay. And they were literally camping out in parks in Russia, like, and just like kicking it together, a little fire in a park. And the authorities were like, there's nothing we can do. These people don't have accommodations. Right. And so people were getting really creative, but what was beautiful is they just loved it. I mean, the Peruvians were just so happy and you could sense it with every single, every day they played these the red and white would just come out of every single corner. And the great part was talking to the Peruvians. They were like, I mean, I met Peruvians who live all over the world. Right. Guy who was like, yeah, no, I live in France. And, uh, um, you know, I first moved to Spain and then I, now I live in France. And he's like, I have a business and a family there, but I'm Peruvian. And so I'm here for the for Peru for the World <laughs> Cup. And they came from all over the place. And I just I think that that what you're saying about the energy that comes with like when your country's there, it's super special. And yeah, that was, that was just, just seeing those, those scenes at a world cup and it, you miss it. Right. So then you're like, Oh man, gotta go. You gotta go to Qatar if you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something, I mean, they might have to set up tents in Qatar. I don't know how bad the desert is going to be. <laughs> But they, they're going to have to, if, if Peru makes it, yeah, expect the same people and probably more because <laughs> I know there's a lot of Peruvians who didn't get a chance to go and are just waiting for that next time. Like, I, I regret it the first time. I'm not going to regret it the next time. So, yeah, better come prepare if Peru makes it. Uh, Ecuador, we're small. We're only a few million, but. Yeah, it's not know, as big as Peru. We still want to go. Yeah, it's not as big as Peru, but we still want to go. Oh, you guys have a good team. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, would, I would love to see. I would love to see Ecuador qualify again. I it's it's always great to see those yellow kits. It's it's, it's just so good. <laughs> um, Thank you. So here's a here's a little pivot on a subject. I thought I I, I watched something, uh, which was the 22, 2022 MLS Super Draft. I actually watched like the YouTube feed of it uh, before we got on our call. Um, this is random, but. One thing that I noticed that blew me away was, first of all, the first team to say pass was the Colorado Rapids in round two, right? They picked up three players in the draft. Then their second pick in round two, they just said pass. Round three, there were 11 clubs that passed on taking a player in round three. 
And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, they show the video of the kids with their family. They get picked. Everyone's jumping up, the scarves, the hat. And I'm like, imagine the kids that are sitting there who entered the draft and watched 12 teams say, no, we're good. Don't need anybody. So I, I, that really was one of those things that just, just an hour and a half ago, I saw that and I was like, we're still doing this to our young players. Like, how can you not take, like, you've got a draft pick, take somebody. There's kids waiting. There's kids who have played in college. They're ready. Um, what does that make you think? Like that just, what, what's your reaction to that? That is heartbreaking because, uh, I remember we we talked about this with with Oscar Pareja, and he said, "You know what? There's never uh, there's always routes to make it pro, um, and one of them is if you know you know if you don't pass from the academy, you can always play college soccer, and then eventually jump from there to pro, making it uh, to MLS teams. Um, but when that happens, I mean it it can sound devastating, but that's why it's important to also." Um, work on character development with with young players because when somebody sees uh, a, a, a disgrace somebody else sees an opportunity and mm-hmm. they know that doesn't stop there um, you have to put sometimes you know whether it's because they make a mistake these clubs are making a mistake just passing on there's there's talent everywhere it's just you really have to care about who you want to bring and uh, it, it apparently seems like these mls clubs don't care and they have enough and i doubt that if you just be like man city want to have all the talent in the world at least take a look at him you know like you want to bring somebody has to have something in that draft because they're there and they've put a lot there's a lot of work behind um behind the, the the type of things that these players do so i think that that's a mistake from mls passing on because Give everybody deserves a chance, and uh, if they really feel that way, I I think maybe then there needs to be a, a a structure where MLS doesn't allow this to happen. I think that should be uh, some sort of uh, protocol because I, I I mean if you're there, I would definitely feel pretty 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 sad and probably worthless. But but you're not, you know. It just means that uh, you have to find a, a another route, whether it's trying out in different tires in the in the USL, whether it's fourth, third division. Um, you you have to give your best and then and then see see reflect reflect on what you can work on, and and what you need. The, the obviously there is an amount of talent. But sometimes you just need to be at the right time to be looked at. And, and I think that's what's missing. But very unfortunate, very unfortunate for those players. Yeah, it was. I just found it really interesting. And I was I was telling my housemate who's he's a big basketball fan. And he said he 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 was like one of the things I used to love doing. I, said, I love watching the NBA draft. He's like, it's great. It's so much fun to watch. Like you get to see, you know, that first moment where they're given their you know they're given the opportunity they're given their contract the kids are so excited right and I told him I was like have you ever heard of teams passing on draft picks and he was like I've never heard of that before uh and if you go and look at the graphic uh you can go to MLS you know type in 2020 MLS or 2022 MLS super draft and you look at round one two and three you look at round three it's almost half of 
the picks are just passes. Right. And so and I couldn't help but think because they showed the videos where the kid got picked. It's like in the room, family, friends, everyone oh, just losing it. And I was just imagining those ones that are sitting there waiting with their whole family, everyone. And then you see 10 clubs, 11 clubs say, pass, we're good. Nope, we don't need any other even option of possible talent. Um, so the, look, I didn't do any real digging on, on why this happens or how often this happens, but it was staggering to me. I was like, how, how is that possible, right? Um, there, were, there were clubs that were trading draft picks for general allocation money. So they're, they're getting the money. But they don't want to take a 22-year-old kid who's just dying for a shot. I thought that was bizarre. So it's it was one of those extra things that makes me go, oh, geez, we've got a long way to go in some ways with the way we with the way we think about the game, right? Because if these pro organizations can just say, no, we're good. We don't we don't even need a third round of the draft. Just get rid of it. That's almost what it's like. <laughs> No, it's absolutely wrong. I think that, yeah, there needs to be some restructure there because uh, you have to to realize these are people and these are people that have dreams and it's not like they're just showing up. They have... they have a framework or a timeline that they have worked on this. And, you know, if you're not, if you're passing on, I think you look, if you select a different player, that's, 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 that's because that's your own choice, but passing on, I think that's devastating and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be happening. I'm going to look into that and, and bring that. Cause that's a, that's a great topic um, for the, for the league. And I think it, it, what's the message that you're trying to send, you know, yeah. if you're allowing these teams to, to do that. And like, well, and I just, I also wanted to tell you this because I want to arm soccer subs with this information. You guys, I want you to take this and 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 take it to people you interview as well because you guys talk to a lot of people that uh, you know have a a place, an important place in soccer in the U.S. So if you guys talk to someone sometime soon, I mean, I'm going to be asking this question to people, but. I would love to know. So that's something I want you guys to uh, to write down as a, here comes the tough question. Why did you pass in the draft? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's great. I think, uh, yeah, definitely going to look at those teams. I mean, every team in this league should not be passing on players. I, that's just my personal opinion. I agree. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean that's it, I, and I think it's a, that's a good tough question to be able to level at people who work within the system, right? Um, look, before we go, because I am going to have to go make myself some dinner at some point soon and eat. But I, <laughs> one thing I want you to do because and, and the real reason why I wanted us to have this chat is because you know you working with young kids and and coaching and it's been clear that we have a very similar way of looking at teaching learning and and the the priorities and everything you've also got the podcast which is doing great and i highly i've i always recommend people to listen to your guys' show because i think it's awesome and i loved that oscar pareja interview actually um he was coaching around here we I, i we remember seeing him in and around the academy when he was getting started his son played in our academy as well actually so 
Yeah. So he's, he's someone that people in the, in, in, in my club and people in the, in the area know, and, and I was really grateful to listen to his perspectives. And I, I do agree the one he talked about the beautiful thing about America is there is that college pathway. So basically the, the question is soccer subs for you. Yes. It's a podcast. Yes. It's a fun way to talk and, and talk to cool people, but is it becoming something more? for you on a, on a much deeper level. And as someone who really thinks about development of life on a personal level, how do you think that, that this podcast has helped shape you in a new, in a new way? Yeah. It think well, thank you so much for those words, uh, uh, Sebastian. I think that that means a lot and I really take that to heart. Um, and yeah, I mean, initially, like I, like I told you earlier in the show, my idea was just to be able to express myself because when you're able to learn to express yourself, uh, you become a better communicator. So that was the initial idea of why I was doing this. Then somehow develop into speaking to uh, people who are involved at the lead or professional level in the United States. And for me, that was, I wasn't expecting that, but, um, yeah, it means a lot. It means a lot to me. And that's why sometimes it's it's hard work because Ronnie says, look, you gotta you gotta take your lunch at two because we have to talk to somebody. And and I'm like, great, I won't eat that uh until I get out of work. But it's so meaningful to li- listen to these professionals speak because there's a message in everything that they're saying. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I, I feel uh, I feel like uh I, not the outcast, but you know, Ronnie has their style of asking questions, but I'm like, look, I want to dig for gold. <laughs> I want, I want to <laughs> know the secrets to, to helping athletes, to helping players. What do you do in this situation? What happens when the locker room is, is not uh, the way you wanted to go? What's your method? I mean, it just has a lot of valuable moments and, and that's one of the biggest things that I enjoy about doing it. Well, and I, and I can back you up by saying you love to ask those dig for gold questions. You're and you're good. You, you you're great at it. And no, you guys have a great uh, you guys have a great balance. But the energy you've always shown. I mean, I still one of my favorite episodes uh, that I've done was the collaboration we did on the Euros when we talked about France falling apart. That was so much fun, and I still remember just the the energy you had. You had your Ecuador kit on, and and it was like, you know, it, it there was something in the passion you have for talking about all the, all the small details. And, and I think that that's really, really valuable for, for anyone that does a podcast, but also you want to share that kind of thing with the, the young people that you work with. And I just think that's, that's what we need. We need people, more people like that working in the game. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And look, for me, you are someone that I admire a lot and it took me, perhaps a few minutes from a clip on Instagram to say, wow, this, this guy is great because not only are you very intelligent, you're a great communicator, you care, you have a great insight, but you just have this way of just connecting with people by just being yourself, but being so eloquent about it. And look, I know you talked about it on the last episode. Uh, You know, you're still going to continue to do this. Please, do that because for me you are a teacher so i thank you for for just just being you so thank you so much for that man well christian this is the thing teachers see teachers that's that's the key right that's that's both of us 
All right. Here's I want to I want to ask you one one final question here. Who is going to win the Africa Cup of Nations 2022? Who do you got? Uh, I know every, I know not everyone's played yet, so it's tough to fully make a choice. But what's your gut feeling? You know what? I last last team they won is Egypt, right? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they did win the last one. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I think uh, it, it's tough because there's always so much talent and it's so physical. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't I like I like Senegal. Uh, there's they've always been a team, even in the World Cup. It's they're always fun to watch. Uh, I, I will go. I mean, Cameroon as well. Nigeria. I, I'll go. Can I I'll pick Nigeria because okay. I love watching them in the World Cup against Argentina. And I feel like they just always have bad luck. So that'll be my dark horse and only pick for the for the African Cup of Nations. I love it. Hopefully, well, hopefully I'll go ahead and well. I'll put myself on the record and say, looking at the Ivory Coast squad, Cote d'Ivoire, I'm picking them. Uh, okay. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to choose their front line. They have like six forwards that are all like good, like top level <laughs> players. But um, no, and then I. I I just wanted to touch on that because it's it's a it's going to be a fun tournament. You're right; it's super physical, and the games have been cagey so far. But there is something there is something unique about it, kind of interesting, isn't there? Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, it's pride, you know. It's pride to be the best of the nation. I think uh, there's just so many talented players and so many talented teams. Um, they don't want to lose, so it's it's gonna it's always hard to pick. I always don't know which one is gonna be, but they are definitely fun to watch and. Um, I, I actually, there's a New York City FC fan that we brought in the show. He's an advocate for the African Cup of Nations. Um, mm-hmm. uh, his name is Andy Bahanias. He's like watching it from work on his on his little laptop. He said that the 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 the, the employees there are fine with it. I'm like, that's 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 soccer. You gotta connect. You gotta see what's around there. And in in the African Cup of Nations, something not to miss. So I love that. Well, ne- the next match is, I think, at uh, 5.30 a.m. Mountain Standard Time tomorrow. So I've been waking up at 5.30 to see the games. <laughs> I've been doing it. It's great. That's awesome. Yeah, we can all do it. If you can do it, we can all do it. Oh, yeah. We, I, I'm not in <laughs> California or, or Hawaii, so I, I'm i not dealing with uh, the worst of the of the times. But, yeah, no, it's it's good. Well, Christian, thank you so much. I'm, I'm really glad that I, I got to get you on here individually as well because um, – you know, you guys as a podcast are a, a really fun group of dudes and you guys all have your own opinions and uh, just ways of seeing everything. And uh, I, I really appreciated Ronnie telling me about his experience with NYCFC. And I want to personally tell you, thank you for pushing him to go. He really <laughs> needed to do it. He, he admitted that you were the first per- person that just tipped him over the edge. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, it, it's just something. Look, as a Red Bull fans, I've been to a couple. It hurts not to have won it, but you have to be there. You have to be there because it's just a unique experience. And I'm glad that they won because uh, that's something he's not going to forget ever in his lifetime. Well, and for you guys, it brings that pride to the city. That's I think that's a great thing. Even though you're in a Red Bull fan, it's still like, it's a title for New York. So that's awesome absolutely there's some street cred there (laughs) well what i mean and and on a sports level what has new york won recently i mean have the yankees won the world series in a while 
you know, and and that just just very quick on it. Uh, I, I think it was the Giants was the last one. Uh, but New York, yeah, 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 the the New- football team, yeah the football team but one one university of c fan was so pissed because in the newspaper they were talking about some next game and there was nothing from new york city fc <laughs> and this is a thing the new york post or something uh, he's like come on where are we gonna get some recognition hopefully hopefully that changes man yeah i i hope so too <laughs> i really do uh well y- your brooklyn nets might pull something off as well so who knows with you know they're looking, they're looking pretty hot right now. Well, Christian, thanks so much for taking time on this uh, Tuesday evening and uh, get some rest because uh, Afcon starts up again tomorrow, and we've got we've got to we've got to be ready to cover it. Keep an eye on it. <laughs> of course. Well, thanks so much, man.